If you just say, well, looks like this is working out, what's going to happen is that over time, divisions will become more entrenched. People that work from home most likely are going to experience what people in subsidiary offices feel, left out. Welcome back to From Poop to Gold. I'm Benton Crane, your co-host and the CEO of Harmon Brothers. On today's episode, I am joined by Laura Kriska. Welcome to the show, Laura. Thank you, Benton. It's lovely to be here. Laura is the founder and CEO of a company called We Building, and she is also the author of a couple of books. The first one, The Accidental Office Lady, which is a book about her experience as the first woman working in the Tokyo headquarters of Honda. And her more recent book is The Business of We. Tell us a little bit more about yourself, Laura. Sure. Well, thanks for having me on the show. It is my life's work to help people build lasting trust across us versus them gaps. These gaps could be related to a business mandate, like, you know, sales versus marketing. I don't know mm -hmm. about you, but any organization I have ever been in, and I've been in many, many in my 30-year career, there are always us versus them gaps. So, you know, manufacturing versus engineering engineering, blue collar versus white collar, front office versus back office. So these gaps can interfere with good communication, strong relationships, effective teamwork, but these gaps are not only related to business functions. And I see it more and more in identity related gaps, men versus women, millennials versus boomers based on race ethnicity, gender identity. I mean, it's really endless. My goal is to help people see the gaps that are causing big damage in their organizations. And so big damage means business loss, poor customer service, lawsuits, HR complaints. There's a lot of time and money wasted or spent, I should say, investigating claims and complaints. And instead of that, I try to help people build a we- culture. A we culture is one where you're, you're not in agreement about everything. You don't have to like, or even be friends, but you have understanding of them. Them can be, again, any of these other people who might have differences uh, in relation to your own identity. So that's what we building is all about to create a culture where everyone in the workplace feels safe, feels welcome, and can be productive. Give us a couple of examples of what this can look like. So maybe start with the sales versus marketing example, and then maybe let's look at the you know boomer versus millennial example. Mm -hmm. So one is mm -hmm. kind of like job function, and the other one is, is more around like, you know, how old am I? And, and what was life like when I grew up? So it's so interesting you asked about sales versus marketing. I was just speaking with a client recently and they are you know, trying to do business during a pandemic. And so the marketing department in this organization devised a series of webinars for customers or potential customers. And it was to, you know, kind of increase business, address the lack of business. You know, everybody is under more pressure because of the pandemic. And the sales department did not really enthusiastically support these webinars to the customers. And the marketing department got very angry. So sales and marketing were just 
just at odds. And finally, it came out that the sales department thought that the webinars were boring and they didn't want to put these, you know, a yet another boring webinar in front of a customer. They thought it would, you know, not be a good idea for their customers. This is a perfect example of where these two departments that have the same goal, right? The goal is let's be a successful organization. Let's meet our customer needs. Let's innovate new products. Let's increase our revenue and our market share. I mean, this is obvious. Yet, because of their inability to work together, they missed a great opportunity. So really what should have happened in perhaps the leadership wasn't helping to foster this we culture, the marketing department did not seek the counsel of salespeople, which they should do. Salespeople have direct interaction with customers on a regular basis. And salespeople, if they thought this was being developed and didn't like what they heard or were worried about it being boring, should have quickly and communicated early on to their marketing department. And probably if if they had worked together, they could have devised something that would have been useful. But as a result of their us versus them dynamic, they waste wasted money, they wasted time. To me, this is a perfect example of the type of divisions that are inevitable and predictable. And I find that sometimes people in business think that you can't do anything about it. Oh, that's just the way it is. But you can do something about it. And I think it comes down to leadership. How are leaders fostering a we culture or are the leaders themselves participating in the us versus them dynamic? For example, speaking about the marketing department in a dismissive way or talking about a different geographical department. I think that happens a lot when you've got a headquarters and you've got, you know, mm-hmm. subsidiary offices or um, regional offices and, oh, those, those people in Utah, you know, they blah, 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 blah. Like that type of language happens all the time. And if leaders are not, first of all, noticing those types of comments and making sure that they're limited and actually promoting language like, why don't we work together with our team in Utah, or perhaps the team in Utah needs support. What are some ideas and those kinds of things? So that example you gave of sales versus marketing, I was a bit surprised to find out just how common that particular us versus them scenario is out there, because that seems like one where it's almost like two sides of the same coin, right? The the marketing team is there to try to drum up the awareness and drive the, you know, top of funnel leads, if you will. And then the sales team is there to take those leads and close them into paying customers. And that seems so closely related and so interwoven that you wouldn't think that there would be such discord between those two functions in a business, but it's amazingly common. Yeah. I'd love to hear, do you have a specific example or what have you observed yourself? One thing that I have observed is that it's surprisingly common for those two groups to answer to different executives. And that's always been a head scratcher for me because the the two functions are so closely related that it feels like they should both answer to the same executive and definitely see each other as part of the same team. And then the other thing that I've seen that doesn't make a lot of sense to me is that when marketing believes that they're not part of the close 
or when you know the the sales team doesn't believe that they're part of the brand building and the awareness generation that feels broken to me because both sides should be contributing to the whole and so I, I I'm really interested to hear about this subject from you kind of from a uh, behavioral philosophical psychological t- type perspective because mm-hmm. I've only looked at it more from just like a marketing and sales perspective mm-hmm. part of the problem moving forward for many organizations is also the hybrid, you know, work from home versus not work from home. Mm. This is a brand new dynamic that many companies don't aren't prepared to deal with. This is a critical issue. Many companies had to go to the work from home situation under duress with no time to prepare. And now many organizations are going back, at least here in New York, where I am based, there's a lot of preparation. The next couple months, people will start to go back. So there's more time to give thought to these. I believe that we are in a rare opportunity to establish new norms of inclusion, new norms of working together. We building is teamwork plus inclusion work. And every leader should be thinking about how to incorporate these new norms of inclusion as people are returning. We're never going to have an opportunity like this again, I hope. It was a crisis with Mm -hmm. a lot of devastating results, but it offers us an opportunity as people are returning to work to set these new norms and to make a critical analysis of how have we behaved? Have our departments behaved in a very us versus them mentality? Has that been allowed? How do people sit? Where are the spaces they inhabit? I've noticed where some organizations have people on different floors. And of course, to a certain degree, that makes sense. But if you have departments, and I know companies that have this, they have departments where people don't even speak to each other. Someone in a recent webinar was just telling me about their organization. They have two departments where the humans in these departments do not speak to each other. So if you've got a situation like that, it's worth changing where people sit and inconveniencing a kind of logical flow of, you know, sales on one floor and marketing on another. If you have these type of stakes, you have to do something to disrupt the us versus them dynamic. And not only disrupt that, you have to actively and deliberately facilitate a we culture. I want to hear your advice for us here at Harmon Brothers. So the the way that we're handling, you know, the whole dynamic of in-office versus Versus at home, we've decided to take an approach where we let each individual make the decision for themselves based on their circumstances and, and their needs. So we have a spectrum from people who work 100% in the office because that's where they want to be and that's where they do their best work. And then we have on the other end of the spectrum, people who are 100% remote and they never show up at the office. And then, you know, there's a blend in between where where people mm-hmm. will kind of take a hybrid approach where, where they do a, a little of both. I would say that by and large, it's working. It hasn't been without challenges. You know, it hasn't been smooth sailing the the whole time. Like so many other companies, we kind of went into that, you know, under duress. I would love to hear your advice on when you end up in an environment like that, where you do have the in offices versus the not in offices, and then some people who kind of bridge the gap. How do you create that we as opposed to the us versus them? Such a good question that so many people are facing. It's not that much different from the many organizations 
organizations I have worked with that have a headquarters location in, say, Tokyo Mm -hmm. and an office in New York where there is clearly a common goal, but there are differences, even time differences. So people from work from home, you know, surely they are trying to work during office hours, but, you know, that might get a little flexible. In those cases, what's critical is that leaders are actively and deliberately building a we culture. If you just say, well, looks like this is working out. What's going to happen is that over time, divisions will become more entrenched. People that work from home most likely are going to experience what people in subsidiary offices feel. Left out. It's just the nature of things. If there is a physical location where people are gathering and some people are not doing that, they will feel left out. Small little comments or events. Somebody brings food in and they hear about it and they think, oh, I wasn't in part of that. Or big things. There's an urgent meeting or a casual meeting in the hallway where something important is decided. And then the people at home are just informed about it or worse yet, find out about it by happenstance. What? So those us versus them dynamics at home and at work are going to become entrenched. One of your secret weapons, one of the we building secret weapons are culturally fluid people. So culturally fluid people are people who understand more than one cultural group. So I would say at Harmon Brothers, you're going to have two cultures, the at home and the at work. And the blended people are really going to be a useful resource because they will know what it's like. They can empathize. They can empathize. They can experience and they can say, hey, I'm noticing this, or last week I worked from home and this is what I noticed, or this is what I experienced. But that needs to be leveraged. It needs to be noticed by leadership and leveraged. And by leveraged, I mean that you pay attention and you ask people who are in this blended situation, you know, during the next week, I'd love for you to just jot down some notes since you're going to be working from home, tell me what it's like. Uh, Tell me if there's something that you notice from working from home. Are there ways that we can be more inclusive, right? That just that question, that single question for any leader in any company in 2021 can be so useful. What are ways that we can be more inclusive? In this case, we're talking about inclusive hybrid, you know, work from home versus working from the office. But that question can apply to any group. So one of the tools that I highly recommend is an online engagement vehicle called Mentimeter. Have you heard of Mentimeter? Uh-uh, spell that. M-E-N-T-I-M-E-T-E-R. So if you Google Mentimeter, it's actually menti.com, M-E-N-T-I.com. You can use it for fun or you can use it for getting real input from people. And I have used it throughout the pandemic when I conduct online webinars and events. I mostly do we building initiatives, which is exactly what I would suggest you think about for Harmon Brothers. And this is something you can do on your own, just DIY. But Mm -hmm. it means, again, paying attention to this dynamic. I'll give you an example. Last week, I was working with a, a company, big global, actually one of the largest banks in all of the world. The people I'm working with are all newly hired people. 
They've started their job during the pandemic. They have never been to the physical office space here in New York. And so Mentimeter is a kind of online quiz and I can engage. We engage like 50 people and there's a question that appears. Uh, You arrange the questions ahead of time. So one of the questions was, how do you feel about going back to the workplace? You know, yay or, you know, so I gave some answers, multiple choice answers and people answer using their phones. So you can be in Tokyo and in Sao Paulo and New York, and everybody can participate at the same time. So 50 people answered that question anonymously. This is so valuable for leaders to get that kind of anonymous feedback. Then I said, is there anything the company can do to make your return to the office more successful? Yes, no, or I don't know. More than half of the people said yes. There's something the company can do. And then the final question, again, using Mentimeter was, what can the company do? And then it's an open-ended question. And people, again, anonymously share their ideas. So some of the ideas were things like have somebody welcoming us when we show up those first days, have a map of the office. This is a huge office in New York City. Mm-hmm. Um, have people have a name map so we know who, you know, if I need to get a name badge or, you know, just basic things that ordinarily, if you'd been employed for a year, you would know this kind of stuff. These were great ideas generated by the people who are facing Facing this situation. So Mentimeter is a wonderful tool. You can engage people for fun. So another example, some of my WeBuilding initiatives, and this is what I would suggest for Harmon Brothers, you have to deliberately keep people connected over time. If you default to business as usual, the way we used to do things, you will miss opportunities to catch the warning signs. And if you pay attention to the warning signs, you can leverage that into actually building your relationship with people in a, in a way that promotes cohesion, collaboration. Let me give you another example. In the fall, I'm going to do a WeBuilding Buddy program with a global company. And they have people from all over the world. Normally, these people meet up once a year. They're representing different parts of this global network from different countries, but we can't do that. They're not going to do it this year. So instead, they're holding a very long kind of several week program, like one day a week. And throughout that program, we're going to pair people up as buddies throughout the, I think it's like a month long, maybe one event a week or something like that. They will have a WeBuilding buddy meeting online. Somebody in Australia might be meeting with someone in Korea and they will answer a series of questions. We will deliver some basic questions. And the goal will be that over time, they will move from stranger to acquaintance, to colleague, to trusted colleague. Getting to the trusted colleague level relationship is the goal with as many people as possible. But what I've noticed is that when there is some difference, even in Harmon Brothers, I'm going to suggest, I don't know your organization, but I'm going to guess there are people have, you know, people have different backgrounds. You know, you're not all the same. People easily move from stranger to acquaintance to colleague. But when there's some perceived difference, For example, the other topic you asked me to talk about, boomer versus millennial, when there's some difference or perceived difference, they don't work at it. 
They are overwhelmed. They're fearful of saying or doing the wrong thing. They're too busy. There are so many reasons, but they just stop at colleague level and they don't put in the work. And that's a missed opportunity. Having we building initiatives where the company, Harmon Brothers, is deliberately acknowledging, oh, we have this dynamic and let's not wait for a crisis. Let's not wait for somebody to quit all of a sudden because they're so unhappy with the situation. Let's proactively build up a we culture. Let's actively narrow gaps and build trusted colleague relationships across whatever differences there are. In your case, hosting a WeBuilding fun event once a quarter could be a great thing. I've hosted a couple events and I do them. I'm not talking about like, oh, let's all have a casual cocktail hour. Those are nice. I think people do that. I'm talking about a super fun produced one hour gathering for everybody where you have some prizes and I don't mean expensive. I mean, just fun. You use Mentimeter for fun. I did a quiz with uh, the leaders with a recent company where we had the three leaders and I talked to the leaders and I made a little quiz about these leaders. People had to guess, who am I talking about? One guy had been in London to hear Queen play in Live Aid. It was super fun. And there were, I think, a hundred employees on this call where we just had fun. We asked some interesting questions, but it was a shared experience. And that's what we building is about. You either find commonalities that you already share. For example, sales and marketing share the same goal of wanting to meet customer needs, build revenue, you know, build market share, et cetera. Or you create new shared experiences. For example, millennial versus boomer who might not speak the same language, Mm -hmm. but you create a shared experience. We have a tradition that served us really well. So every Monday morning, we have an all hands meeting. And at Mm -hmm. the end of the all hands meeting, we either end it with what we call a spotlight or a wisdom. And In the case of a spotlight, it's where somebody gets the opportunity to tell about themselves, you know, who they are, where they came from, what they're passionate about, that sort of thing. Or a wisdom is an opportunity where people get between five and 10 minutes to talk about any subject they want to, as long as they're passionate about it. And so we've had, you know, things as wild as, you know, fine Italian pizza making to Mm. Bigfoot hunting to (laughs) like sound mixing and the list goes on and on and on. But that has served us really, really well because I think of what you're talking about where people would otherwise kind of stop at colleague, but as soon as you allow somebody a stage on which they can go deeper, then that opens up the door for their colleagues to kind of come inside and and become more than colleagues. I think it's great. And I I would say, I believe that face-to-face interactions of increasing depth are the path toward unity in any organization. And that includes virtual face-to-face. So let me ask a couple of questions about that because I agree. For me, face-to-face interaction is absolutely essential to relationship building to just maybe it's the way that I lead the way that I manage but I thrive on face to face and so as my meaningful portion of my workforce has gone remote I have continued to ask them to you know turn on your camera because I even though you're remote I still want to look into your eyes and I still want to see you face to face but this is the question that I have for you I've never taken that to the point of you know kind of like getting 
getting very forceful with it or, you know, really pushing to have the camera on. I've more kind of left it as like, hey, I encourage you to turn on the camera. I understand sometimes situations don't allow, but whenever possible, turn it on. And I've found that for a pretty meaningful number of people, that hasn't been enough to actually get them to turn on their cameras. They prefer to, you know, just always stay camera off and just interact via voice. And while on one hand, I want to respect that decision, on the other hand, I'm genuinely worried about the lack of that face-to-face, eye-to-eye interaction. And, and, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on, uh, on that very thing and, and how much emphasis I should be putting on it. If people are only using their voice, you're limiting your ability to communicate effectively. So why would you do that? Why would that be something you want to allow to happen? I recognize that working from home, sometimes it's it, it's not comfortable or you've got somebody else in the room and you, you shouldn't have your camera on. I would accept a certain amount of that, but this is an opportunity where I was talking about new norms of inclusion. We are in a pandemic still, but we as an organization this way, not because of the pandemic, but because this is the new way we Harmon Brothers want to work, right? You never would have entertained this had it not been for the pandemic, correct? Mm -hmm. So we recognize that there are some positives to this, but any communication expert can tell you when we communicate as humans in business, we're not just using our voices and we're not just listening. We're using our eyes. We're using sense of our kinetic ability to understand others in proximity. By allowing people to have their cameras off as a default for long-term behavior, you've really limited the functionality of communication, which is something I know you don't want to do, right? If anything, we want to increase everybody's mm. ability to communicate and be effective with one another. So if I were in your situation, I would find a good uh, hook, a new reason, you know, starting September 1st or whatever, mm. as part of our We Building initiative, here's a new policy we'd like everybody to follow for this reason. The default will be cameras on from nine to five or in you know, every Monday meeting, cameras on no matter what. Exceptions, of course, if you have a situation, let us know. Or you know, just setting some norms, new norms, where the default becomes both visual and vocal communication. Yep. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. But I understand why you have the situation you did. You know, again, you went into this in a crisis. You're trying to accommodate people. Of course, I love not having my camera on. <laughs> I yeah. can be in my pajamas. And yeah, it's nice to be able to uh, to work in your underwear, but sometimes it, uh, it it just isn't isn't sufficient. What have you faced on on your journey? I think that I'm still in the poop phase. <laughs> in terms of my journey towards sharing my message and being successful in that way, I've been very clear about uh, developing my message, developing the ideas. I have helped many people build trust, but really it started with my own failure. Uh, when I was 22, a couple weeks after graduating from college, I was in the Tokyo headquarters of Honda Motor Company and I caused a big problem. I caused a lot of crap, if you will, because I failed to pay attention to the us versus them dynamics. And I really irritated a very senior office lady without knowing it because I wasn't paying attention to these dynamics. And so the kind of dynamics you and I have been discussing are different. They're not related to nationality cultures, but these us versus them culture dynamics exist 
everywhere in every organization. So it's incumbent upon leaders who want to be successful to pay attention to them. And so in my case, I wasn't respectful of her authority as a senior. I treated her nicely when with respect, but there is a very rigid hierarchy in Japan. I did judo in college and there's two types of students. There are black belts and white belts. And so when I went into this office lady situation, I was very clearly a white belt and she was very clearly a black belt, but I didn't acknowledge that. It just never occurred to me. Through that painful experience, I started to understand that the us versus them dynamics are sometimes visible, such as with people from different countries, speaking different cultures or different regional offices. But other times these culture differences are less visible. And mm -hmm. because of that, they require even more attention. It's so fun to get to speak with an expert like yourself on this subject because, you know, as a leader of an organization, so much time and thought and effort and care goes into making sure that everyone is rowing in the same direction and everyone is working towards the same goals. And so anytime that, you know, I see within my organization this us versus them, it not only breaks my heart, but it worries me about, you know, whether or not we're going to be successful as, as an organization. So I'm personally am very excited to, to get to read your books and to get to study you more thoroughly and apply some of these principles here at Harmon Brothers. But for our listeners who are also interested, where where can they learn more and where can they keep in touch with you? My website is my name, which is Laura Kriska with a K, K-R-I-S-K-A. Uh, LinkedIn is a really good place to connect with me. I offer... Uh, webinars. Sometimes last week, I offered a free webinar on how to learn to speak perfect Japanese in 10 minutes. And it's on LinkedIn. You can go see it now. If you get the Olympic spirit and you want to learn to speak Japanese, you can check that out. But LinkedIn or my website are the best places. And um, if you don't mind, I would like to say that it is my life's work to inspire a rebuilding revolution where people take action to bridge us versus them gaps in the workplace, and beyond to create a safer, more welcoming and productive world. So I can't do this by myself. So I need your help and your listeners help so that we can get to that place together. For our listeners, as always, if you like what you heard and you want to learn more, check us out at harmanbrothers.com. Make sure to follow the podcast, like, share, subscribe, all of that good stuff. And we will see you on the next episode. Want to learn the tricks of our trade? We have them all laid out in our courses on Harmon Brothers University. This isn't surface level stuff here. This is our entire playbook, all our secrets laid out in full, the same training we give our own employees. You'll find courses on ad buying, writing video scripts to sell your product or service, creating the kind of large production ads we're known for, even making short ads using nothing but your cell phone. If you're looking to use video marketing to take your business to the next level, Harmon Brothers University has the course for you. Our students have seen incredible growth in their businesses by implementing what they learned in our courses. Take these reviews as living proof. We've now got multiple campaigns that are in the millions of views and in the multiple millions of dollars in sales. Within a week, we're close to 10 million views, over a million in sales, and most impressively, we've covered 100% of the production costs in the first 24 hours of releasing it. We saw immediate results. Sales went up 10x the first day. The first video we did is over 30 million views. The most customers that we've ever acquired in a single month. I think we had about 26,000 new customers. Go to harmanbrothersuniversity.com to start accelerating your business's growth with video.